This is FS Uncovered, podcast of M&M Service Company, serving our customers' needs by providing excellent products, services, and innovative solutions. So we're here today to talk about Endure, the FS System Sustainability Initiative. So Earth Day is April 22nd. And it's always a good time to talk about what we can do to preserve all of our natural resources and keeping our soils and water qualities so that the future generations can continue to farm. So it's always a good time to talk about these issues, but (laughs) they're brought to light during this time of year. So Brian's joining us today, and he is going to tell us a little bit about this system Um sustainability initiative so and brian can you give us a re uh tell us about (laughs) tell us about endure and uh what it's about yeah thanks krista so um endure is a as you as you said a fs system sustainability initiative the mission of an enduring farm is to preserve and improve the land and natural resources for future generations by utilizing best proven uh, management practices that lead to long-term soil and water quality and enhancements. Uh, obviously, you know, we live, um, breathe in the Mississippi River. We actually, in our company, have the McCoopin Creek watershed, which is the, the third largest phosphorus loading uh, watershed in the state of Illinois. So we're kind of in the heart of uh, phosphorus management, at least in, in a and definitely a, a big uh, watershed that influences a lot of, of nutrient management uh, flows into our, our big bodies of water of, of the Mississippi River. So the purpose of, of the Enduring Farm Program is, is for FS customers who implement best management practices to manage nutrients that will obviously enhance profitability on their own farm, that improves and, and also improves the nutrient utilization um, applied before that crop year. So basically it is applying the nutrients at a sustainable way, not over applying, making sure they stay put, they don't run off. Uh, Phosphorus is a prime example um, where, you know, we don't typically lose it through leaching. uh, We lose it through runoff. So any soil that we have um, going into our creeks and streams and lakes and ponds uh, basically means that we're losing a lot of of nutrients as well and a lot of nutrient value so basically it's it's making sure we're we're applying the right uh right products the right rates and uh, making sure they stay put so can you go over some of these um, good practices that the growers should implement to to help uh, sustain our resources yeah yeah so so where where most farmers can start is is soil sampling uh, ensuring that they have good quality soil samples uh, you know, over a, you know, basically one time, at least one time through a four year period, uh, that gives you a good baseline of where you're at. And then secondly, you know, you start with the four R code of practice of applying nutrients and, and your base, um, macronutrients of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Uh, and the four R code of practice is the right rate, uh, right time, right place, right source. Um, so Tony, that's four, four R's. Thank you for clarifying. Um, it's a it's a great way of uh, ensuring sustainability and, and good stewardship on every farming field. Um, you can move right into uh, nutrient management, uh, which practices can include VRT, lime, uh, phosphorus, and potassium. Uh, a lot of farmers nowadays are utilizing GPS um, yield uh, information, so 
spreading fertilizer um, based off of what they removed is a great uh, great way of applying nutrients. So uh, we can take the the harvest map and and overlay and create a, a spread map uh, for N P N K. Um, however, that farmer should choose, and we we should be able or we can uh, manipulate that to to the farmer's preference as well. Uh, no applications of P and K on frozen or snow covered ground. Again, like I talked about, most of our nutrients, major nutrients um, besides nitrogen, just your your P and K are, are typically not lost through leaching. They're lost uh, through runoff. So, obviously, if we're applying uh, P and K on frozen snow covered uh, ground. Uh, the old theory was, and, and I would agree to this to a certain level, uh, but, uh, you know, it would help get that nutrient into the soil. But you got to understand that uh, uh, there's a lot of money at stake when we're applying this stuff uh, on frozen or snow-covered ground. And just that potential for, for the snow to melt and run off, and then you get, you know, increased erosion as well during the, the typical winter months. So because of the influx in temperatures. Uh, and the big thing uh, moving forward, we've kind of seen a, a, a decent little push here, is uh, is utilizing cover crops. Uh, I'm a proponent of cover crops on certain farms and fields. I'm, I'm, there's some acres that it just doesn't make sense, and there's some management practices and some operations it doesn't make sense on. But that's obviously something that uh, that's uh, you know getting a lot of attention with government programs and uh, you know our own local programs. So uh, something that, you know, we're going to continue to see grow uh, year over year and, um, you know, definitely something that a that, uh, farmer can utilize um, in his nutrient management program to ensure that he doesn't lose nutrients, uh, that we sequester nutrients from the soil. Uh, you know, the, the big one is cereal rye uh, ahead of soybeans or corn, really. Uh, you look at nitrogen and the amount of soybeans or the amount of nitrogen that soybeans do produce. Um, and a lot of the nitrogen we're seeing in in tile, you know, going into the rivers and, and streams and lakes is, is really coming from uh, the leftover nitrogen that a soybean will produce. So, you know, if you're applying a cover crop after soybeans and uh you know, that cover crop can get to a good height and, and uh, create a, a really robust root structure. It should be able to sequester a lot of that nitrogen instead of uh, allowing it to move further throughout the, the soil uh, profile and then into our lakes and streams. Uh, last last piece, but definitely not least, a uh, main um, program would be like your nitrogen management program. So utilizing the uh, MRTN calculator, calculator for a, a base rate of, of nitrogen, anhydrous ammonia in the fall, uh, just ensuring that uh, we're not over applying nitrogen, uh, ensuring that we're applying fall nitrogen in an adequate time, adequate soil temperatures of 50 degrees or less at, a, at that four inch level. Uh, a big push from from us uh, has been for over probably 10 years now has been the uh, uh, nitrogen management as a system and utilizing multiple application, multiple forms. Again, it goes back to your for for our code of practice. Uh, with nitrogen specifically, uh, utilizing multiple sources, multiple timings, multiple rates, uh, ensuring that we're, we're um, applying an adequate amount uh, in an economic uh, way, uh, but more importantly, in an agronomic function where a uh, corn plant can utilize it the most efficient and uh, produce optimum yield. And then ensuring that uh, we're utilizing nitrification inhibitors um, in serve uh, with your fall anhydrous ammonia or spring anhydrous ammonia, Cinchero is another one 
it's got the same properties, same uh, characteristics, and then your urease inhibitors, your volatilization inhibitors when it comes to applying um, nitrogen products over the top. So those are your uh, basic ways of uh, implementing uh, these types of practices to qualify for that enduring farm. Brian, you mentioned uh, the importance of cover crops and, and how that you expect to continue to grow. And then you kind of gave a couple examples of, of some good practices, but then you also mentioned that there were some practices that, that in your opinion, don't make a lot of sense. Can you explain on that and, and, and talk about some of those practices that you don't think are going to be fruitful for, for people? Yeah, yeah. so every farmer is going to be different. Uh, every f- uh, farm is going to be different. Every field is going to be different. So there's obviously certain practices in which aren't going to fit the needs of a farmer uh, that a farmer will not implement uh, due to traditional cultural practices, those sorts of things, you know, gut feelings, uh, whether they're right or wrong. I mean, there's just going to be certain things that, that uh, um, you know, a farmer is just probably not necessarily going to implement or, or not necessarily believe until there's multiple years of, uh, of data out here. And we're, we're still in the beginning stages of a lot of this, uh, you know, nutrient management practices and not, uh, cover cropping, those sorts of things. But, uh, you know... It, I totally understand it from uh, from a farmer's point of view of, of trying to implement, you know, some certain things. I'm not going to say all things, but uh, some specific certain things that uh, cover crop in general, you know, where you've got to implement, you know, different tillage uh, strategies. You have to implement uh, different herbicide application strategies, you know, obviously increase management in the springtime when it comes to, uh, you know, whether you're going to kill it under the herbicide um, or plant into it. Uh, you've got... Uh, you know, different, uh, planter attachments you may have to implement. Uh, you know, so there's a bunch of different variables. That's why, you know, we've seen uh, good steady growth over the years. Um, but it's, it's been also somewhat slow of adoption because there's a lot more things to just go into it than just planting, you know, cereal rye or turnips or radishes in the, in the fall time. So, um, a lot of other things that, that growers have to consider, but that's kind of a, a big one is, is cover crops to, to speak of. So. Another big one is uh, is tillage. Um, you know, tillage is a is a huge cultural practice. Uh, it's very traditional. Great grandpa did it with a moldboard plow. Grandpa did it with a moldboard plow, and then moved into a chisel plow, and then dad's moved into, you know, still that chisel plow. Um, you know, maybe moving into um, some other alternative uh, tillage methods. But uh, you know, that's something we're starting to see slow adoption into. Uh, you know, your minimum tillage with uh, um, multiple tillage tools, whether it's a, you can call it a high-speed disc, is somewhat minimal. Uh, depends on how deep the, the farmer, um, you know, lets it go in the ground. You know, a Salford or a, uh, a vertical tillage tool that, that you know, those, those types of tillage equipment uh, leaves more residue on the top and we don't have a lot of uh, soil exposed to wind and, and rain and, and washout erosion when we leave more soil uh, residue um on the top so but again that, that's one that's more difficult for for car for farmers to uh implement uh we're slowly implementing into uh, uh those types of strategies and i would say planners have somewhat come a long ways too to help us when uh you know we've 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 kind of traditionally thought that planners just really place a seed and, and they do a heck of a lot more than just place a seed and they can they can go through a heck of a lot more with uh you know no-till and and um you know speeds nowadays and we're utilizing you know good uh trash movers and uh pneumatic down pressure is, is you know we we continue to have the ability to implement 
and plant seeds in a little bit rougher situation, which is helping uh, our overall tillage across the area. But the big one is is we still see a lot of uh, customers in, in certain situations or farmers in certain situations that are still deep tilling in any sort of way, soybean stubble. And, and that's where we see the majority of our erosion. And you got to get back and think that uh, if, if, you know, soybean, after we harvest it, we don't, there's not a lot of residue left on top anyways, but you think of what, what crop it's going to go to next and, and uh, it's going to go to corn and, and we've probably already fertilized and then it's got to go through about six months of uh, winter and uh, opportunity of erosion and nutrient loss. And, and so that, that to me is the, the biggest one. If you want to talk tillage that, that farmers can implement is uh, don't work your, your soybean stubble to, to death and turn it blacker than black. So. I don't feel that uh, it really increases any yield at all. Um, it may take out some weeds, um, but it also, uh, you know, I think you lose a lot more in the value of the dirt moving around that you you can't really see today. But, I mean, that's where a lot of your issues are going to come from. Good yeah. question, Tony. <laughs> so you mentioned all the different practices and that not every practice will work for every field. Each one is different. So how how is it determined if a grower is eligible um, to become an injured farm? What what's the process of selecting one? Yeah. So again, we're in what year two of uh, of enduring farms um, program or the initiative uh, with Growmark. Uh, so it's been a slow uh, but growing pace. You know, it's it's a nomination process done by our company, our our sales folks with their growers um, who they believe that. Uh, uh, their growers imp- implement or are implementing these practices that obviously uh, qualify them for this initiative. So there's those certain practices that we talked about, um, and there's a whole list of practices that that farmers can implement. And and with each single practice, uh, it's a point system. So a farmer has to uh, has to get up to 180 points or greater, uh, recognize the the farmer as an enduring farm. And then if a farmer's going above and beyond, if he implements uh, more strategies, um, practices on, on those farms and fields and the, uh, those acres, uh, and it, an additional 90 points, he would be recognized as an enduring farm plus grower, um, which basically is, is just a step above, obviously. But, uh, you know, he's, he's making that initiative, taking that initiative and, and, and going one step further with it, so... So last year, across the entire FS system, or in, for year 2020, um, the whole system had 108 enduring farms, whereas for the year 2021, um, they're up to 140 plus. So like you said, the program is growing. So that's great that all of these growers and more each year are taking these practices to hand and, and doing their part in preserving um, our land. So this year... M&M has, um, we would like to recognize our own enduring farms um, for the year 2021. So we have Allison Family Corp out of Verdon, Illinois, Mike Driscoll from Modesto, Illinois, RNC Grain out of Litchfield, Illinois, Pros Farm LTD, Gerard, Illinois, Schmidt Farms LTD, Carlinville, Illinois, Young Farms, Carlinville, Illinois, and Buller Farms, Wagner, Illinois. And Buller Farms, they are actually enduring farm plus. So congratulations to them all. And we want to say thanks for to those growers for implementing these practices and, and doing their part in preserving our resources. 
Yeah, and I would say one more thing too, uh, Krista. So, so of the farmers who are listening uh, to this podcast, and uh, you know, if you feel that you're uh, utilizing these uh, techniques and practices on your farms and fields, and, and uh, I understand we need to nominate you, but you know, you can have that conversation with your crop specialist and say, "Hey, I'm interested in learning more about this enduring farm initiative, and uh, I'd like to be a part of it." So, you know, feel free to ask those questions to your salespeople and uh, and folks here at M and M you know, for future years to come. So we're going to continue to, to push and build this uh, program as uh, you look at uh, sustainability and stewardship, uh, you know, our big buzzwords within agriculture. So we're going to continue to uh, to really push this type of initiative. So, Brian, you know, that was, you know, gave, gave us a lot of good information there in respect to what our farmers and growers can, can do to make sure that they are uh, using the, the best practices and tools that we have available. Now, you, you refer to me, I'm using your words here, as a city slicker. You can't say that. <laughs> Go ahead. So, you know, we, we focused a, a big part of this conversation about, you know, about the farm and, and, and what we can do to what we can do to further agriculture and, and use best, best practices. But, you know, in our geography and our landscape we have a lot of in your your words city slickers you know what are some things you know as earth we're, we're like chris has said at the very beginning of this and why we're doing this is we're we're coming up on earth day and you know what are some things that that everybody else can can do and in, in terms of practices whether it's you know whether it's on the agricultural side whether it's in their gardens or or anything like that. What are some of the things that you mentioned that can be implemented on a smaller scale in the in the backyard? Like, 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 I'm gonna. I'll, I'll give me as an example. Uh, you know, I use cover crops in my garden beds. You know, we've got a, a, a pollinator area. You know, what are we use? You know, uh, I use rain barrels for water. You know, what are some other practices? What are, what are some other things that that person like myself or Krista uh, can utilize for best practices? Yeah. So great question. And, uh, I'll, I'll back my comment of the quote unquote, uh, city slicker, um, <laughs> verbiage, uh, you know, in agriculture, uh, in rural communities in the past, um, you know, the influence was made by the farmer and, and the farm family and the farm kid in a lot of these rural communities. Well, you know, as rural communities have, have shrank and, uh, um, folks have moved on to, to different employment opportunities and different things as obviously technology has improved to allow folks to do different things and, and really the willingness of, you know, I would even say some of our younger generation not to, uh, to even come back into, to rural agriculture. So that's kind of where that, uh, uh, quote unquote city slicker comment comes from. It's the, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of now city folks that are coming to the rural areas. And and that's Especially a good myself. correct. Um, that's very yeah, very very true. Uh, and I really only started that comment because of you. Um, and I think our viewers under, know and understand that if uh, they know you and I. But yeah, uh, you know, so so we have that that demographic or those those folks coming to rural uh, areas in which you know we had this big farmer influence in our rural communities and and now that farmer influence is kind of 
uh, I wouldn't say going away, but uh, you know the, the transparency, the communication from from you know our our farmers in those rural communities is being somewhat overshadowed from from a lot more of the 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 um, urban folks. So there's a lot more influence. Um, you know, a big word I said in there is transparency. And, you know, the farm food to table um, initiatives. Uh, people want to know that you know people are eating healthier. You see a lot more farmers markets. Um, you know, you, you just travel our territory and beyond. Um, you know, most most folks want to know more about where their food's coming from. So, you know, we have to be diligent about what we are doing as farmers and as suppliers to ensure that what we are doing today is sustainable for years and years to come. Because, you know, you look at um, herbicide applications, nutrient applications. You know, we're, we're getting viewed in a totally different way today than what we were even ten years ago. You know, you look at some of the technology we've utilized, say a drone is a, is a perfect example where, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago when they first come out, we were utilizing them for, for looking overhead uh, crops and we're using NDVI. Now, now you go fly that drone in, in, uh, in kind of an urban area uh, or in your neighborhood and, you know, we're probably going to get the police called on us and maybe even get it shot down because these folks, you know, some of these folks think that it's, you know they're, they're they're looking at it. so that's the kind of landscape that is that is out there today. So we have to ensure that uh, what we are doing today is uh, is sustainable for years and years to come, and and mainly because of that transparency aspect uh, from an environmental standpoint for for homeowners and what they can do. You know, a, a big thing within the industry and what people are talking about. You know, turf applications of fertilizers. You know, again, we we talk about applying fertilizers on. Uh, on our farms and fields to to grow a, a corn and soybean or wheat crop, um, but but think about the fertilizers that we're applying in yards, and uh, you know I would probably venture to guess that a lot of folks don't even know what their soil test values are in a lot of yards. Now I'm not saying that we're over applying nutrients because we're, we're we're applying nutrients based off of uh, the recommended um, application by the label, but uh, you know there may be in some cases where we don't need to apply. Um, you do see a lot more interest in, uh, honeybees. Um, you know, you can get on the, uh, Driftwatch, um, site and look at all the, uh, you know, kind of the, the honeybee sites around apiaries. Uh, so there's a lot more, uh, of, of, uh, honeybee sites around. You're seeing a lot more of the pollinator, um, plots go in. Uh, we've got one here just north of Carnival. Again, it's, it's, agriculture has been so rural and we have to, um, figure out how we can, you know, come together as rural kind of meets urban, and uh, we get a lot, a lot of uh, chatter from the urban folks that don't necessarily understand. Um, but kudos to them to want to educate themselves and want to do some of these sort of things. So uh, there's a lot of things that a homeowners can do. You mentioned it: uh, cover crops on gardens. Um, you know, you don't have to work the the crap out of your your beds and whatnot. Uh, you want to ensure that your dirt's not moving. Um, rain collection water you know that sort of stuff whatever you want to do it, it really has everything to do with the amount of time in which that that person has to uh, to implement those similar practices so i think the fertilizer on the lawn was a good point mm-hmm. um, there's probably not a lot of people that think about when we get all these rains where that water has got to go somewhere too and it's carrying yeah. That excess fertilizer and well, well, you got to think their grass is green. <laughs> you you got <laughs> to think too. I mean, when when you're in uh, subdivision areas in which, and again, there's nothing that we're doing wrong today um, in that arena, but you got to think of uh, you know the amount of uh, fertilizer in some of those subdivision areas, and if it does 
um, or could run off. Um, you know, it goes into a blacktop concrete street and straight into the sewer system and then, and then off it goes. So it's kind of directly impacted. And especially when you look at, uh, you know, our big cities, you know, I, I could say East St. Louis, but I'm, I'm thinking like Chicago, you know, you get in your really, really big cities, um, you know, there, there's probably more of that that could happen. But uh, again, very s- small amount, but those are things that, you know, people can think about. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, we're doing it wrong because we're not. Uh, everybody's doing it right according to the label. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm one to say that I really like green grass. So, um, <laughs> but I've always said a good agronomist better have a good looking yard. So if you don't have a good looking yard as an agronomist, you're probably not a very good agronomist when it comes down to, uh, uh, you know, increasing productivity. So that's, that's just, again, my own matter of opinion. So, you know, this is, this might be a, record day you actually with when you said kudos to those people you so basically you paid me a compliment i, I want to say that's probably uh <laughs> first time that, that that that's ever been record and there's actually i'll uh, give you some money proof here when we get done <laughs> proof that that is that is taking place so uh krista i know i know you do some different things with your uh, at your house with with your garden and stuff like that what are some some of the practices that you implement um well like you i've I don't have a huge garden, but it's big enough that I do rye in it over the winter. And last year was my first year I did that. And I was pretty surprised at how well it suppressed the weeds. And then, um, yeah, so I was, I've seen it firsthand in all the fields, but I thought it was pretty neat just seeing how it impacted my little garden yeah you think about weed suppression but you also think about if if you allow that rye to get up you know a foot or two and then you can you know figure out how you can crimp it or roll it down um you know between the rows and you know you think of all the spring days and summer days in which you know you're typically running around there and trampling in mud so Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily just you know suppressing Mm -hmm. weeds i mean you get a little bit of a barrier there for for you to get out and enjoy it as well so a lot of features and benefits to it yeah and it's real pretty in the spring when it's yeah. just a oh, yeah. flush it, green. Yep, <laughs> so. my yeah, my uh, this is the first year I'm implementing that, and uh, here in a couple of weeks we'll we'll get it rolled and and we'll we'll see how it goes. But I'm excited. Always excited. I am always excited. <laughs> All right. Well, we just want to say thank, um, or not only congratulations, but thank you to our enduring farm winners for taking those measures to ensure that they're still viable ground for those future generations to continue continue their farming practices and feeding our world. Okay, well this has been FS Uncovered, the podcast of Eminem Service Company. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Podbean or your supported podcast app.